Level the Pursuit is a podcast for people ready to make the most of every opportunity. In the race to success, we're not all starting from the same place. Level the Pursuit seeks to fill in the gaps and provide accessible, bite-sized leadership lessons for anyone looking to improve their skills and prepare for the next step, whatever that might be. Last week, we talked about feedback. Feedback is a huge challenge for people because giving people actionable advice without criticizing them as a person is a skill that doesn't come naturally to most of us. Did you ask for some feedback from someone around you? Or did you offer some tips to someone you really care about? If you didn't, start today. Feedback is another one of those relational skills that doesn't just get better as you practice, it gets more comfortable for both of you. Today we're gonna talk about toxic leadership and followership. You may have heard of toxic leadership and have an idea what that means, but you may not have heard of toxic followership. So we'll introduce that here today. Leadership and followership are an interesting relationship. In some ways, they're two sides of the same coin, but in others, they're a continuum of responsibility and trust. Many of the good and bad attributes are the same, so although we'll contrast some of the important differences, much of what makes you a good leader is the same character and behavior that makes you a good follower, and both are critically important to the success of a group. Over the next week, look at your common behaviors and interactions. Are the things you're doing building or breaking your team? There are often small changes you can make that have a huge impact on your success. So what do we mean by toxic? When we're talking about an organization having a toxic environment, what we're describing is the setup where people's motivations are largely negative and self-centered. How we see this is people are disrespectful. There's bullying. People are dishonest or step on one another to get ahead. And the focus of their energy is really on themselves and their own interests instead of taking care of the team and one another. This is bad for an organization because it stifles creativity and autonomy. Morale plummets, good employees leave, but ultimately the people least suitable to be in charge end up running the place. It's just not a great situation. So how are leadership and followership so closely intertwined? To be a good leader, you should understand your followers' mindsets, their capabilities, their motivations. But to be a good follower, you also have to understand your leader's perspectives, the guidelines, and their intent. If you look at performance, followers actually have a ton more influence on an organization's success. A good leader with crappy followers, well, they're just not going to get very much done. A good leader with okay followers will get the job done. And with great followers, they're going to absolutely crush it. But if you turn it around, great followers can get the job done regardless of the leader, and sometimes in spite of them. Ultimately, an organization with bad leaders can still keep moving forward, but an organization with bad followers won't get it done regardless of how charismatic the leadership team might be. An example of the power of that relationship was really personal to me and my training. When you're learning to operate, you spend a lot of time assisting senior surgeons with their cases. They tell you how to retract tissues, how to handle the instruments, and generally teach you how to assist them and eventually how to perform those surgeries. After a while, it makes sense and you're able to do your part without any coaching. Eventually, you get far enough in your training where the roles reverse and they start assisting you while you do the case. They hold the retractors and use the instruments just like they taught you to do, and they guide you through the surgeries. It feels very seamless and very comfortable once you get some experience and you start to get some confidence like, hey, I I know what I'm doing. I'm operating. Eventually, you get to the point where you're now teaching a junior resident that's a doctor that's a year or more behind you in training how to do the surgery the same way you were taught. 
It's actually really cool and you get to feel like you're growing and learning and teaching other people. But I remember doing this as a fourth year resident, taking one of our juniors through an ankle fracture, which is a relatively straightforward uh, trauma surgery that any orthopedic surgeon can do. I could not get a good look at the surgical field. I just could not get a good exposure, had a hard time seeing the fracture. I kept repositioning the retractors and having to show him how to hold them, explaining what we were looking at so he could show me what I needed to see. He had no idea what to do, so I had to show him. Now he was willing to learn and he was very teachable, so eventually we got it done and we did a good surgery. But it was frustrating me that I didn't know what I was missing in trying to help him and I wasn't good at telling him what it was I needed him to do. After, I wondered why I'd felt so competent doing the same surgery in the past and felt so stupid today. After a little thought, I realized every time I'd done the case as a primary surgeon in the past, I'd had an attending helping me. This was the first time I'd been assisted by someone less experienced than me. So basically, I was a pretty good follower in assisting other surgeons and an okay leader at that point. When I had a stellar follower like my attending surgeon filling in the gaps and anticipating what I needed, I'd looked and felt like a great leader. We'd done great work, we were efficient, morale was awesome in our OR. But having a brand new, inexperienced follower exposed all of the gaps in my leadership skills, and we had to struggle together to get the job done. Now, we were both engaged, we both wanted to do the job well, and so ultimately we were successful, but it took forever, and it was painful for everyone involved. So a good leader is important, but a good follower is really, really important as well. So it's important for both sides to recognize the power they hold in creating the organization's success and that we're all aware of the impact of our moods and behaviors on our environment and the people around us. Although toxicity can arise from any area in an organization, because of the power and the visibility, a lot of focus recently has been on the impact of toxic leadership, how to identify these people and ways to protect the people they are supposed to lead. If you're trying to search what makes a good leader, you'll find a ton of qualities, but you'll find some common threads like honesty, communication, courage, optimism, confidence, commitment to the organization, vision, decisiveness, and care for the people around you. While a lot of these qualities are focused on competence and ability, more and more emphasis is being placed on the human factors and how a leader relates to their team, like the ability to delegate, to trust, having empathy, showing gratitude, and being able to serve those around you. So what makes a bad leader? Well, a simple answer would be a failure at any or all of those qualities that are required for a good leader, but it doesn't always work that way. It could just be not getting the job done regardless of your personal qualities. But does that make you toxic? Maybe, but let's come back to that. What makes a good follower? Not surprisingly, the qualities often cited are honesty, communication, courage, commitment, loyalty, and care for the team. Now, does that sound familiar? A good way to look at it is, as a member of any organization, you're not just a follower, you're training to lead at the next level. All of the things you do are actually leading the people behind you and preparing you to ascend to the next position. So it's no coincidence that the traits are almost the same. So does failing to do these things make you a bad follower? And when does that become toxic? In today's environment, a big step between incompetence and toxicity is intent. Being bad at your job is not malicious. It may not even be your fault. People who are bad at their job are often untrained, 
unsupported, under-resourced, or misplaced in a position that's just not appropriate for their skills or their personality. All of these things can create a difficult environment for the person and their coworkers, but that doesn't make it toxic. Toxicity arises when people are trying on some level to do the wrong thing. They may not see it as such, but it's the truth. Usually it's because they're trying to push their own interests instead of the organization, and often resorting to negative tactics to achieve their goals. For a leader, it includes things like micromanaging or second-guessing their team, taking credit for the team's accomplishments, being dishonest about their own actions or their policies, and refusing to hear feedback or concerns. Part of the difficulty in changing this mindset is that many of these dictatorial practices were commonplace and totally acceptable in the not-so-distant past. But the changes in our society, our industries, our education, they've created a more integrated and collegial environment where these practices just don't fly. And honestly, that's awesome because we know we're more effective when we have everyone's voice contributing to our success. But what about followers? Well, it still goes to intent and focus on personal gain. Again, some of these people feel like they're doing the right thing. They may feel like they're the only one that truly understands the issues and they have a responsibility to counteract bad policies however they can. But this is not a good technique for the organization. Undermining policies, thinking they're too good for aspects of their jobs or smarter than their boss, complaining in the duty section instead of bringing up concerns formally, or bullying and disrespecting the people they don't agree with, they're all toxic traits that followers can exhibit. These people may blow off any concerns you bring about their behavior because I'm not in charge, what kind of power do I have? Even worse, they may focus your concerns and their energy on a coworker or a supervisor and project their own toxic influence on them. People like this tend to think they are outside the boundaries of behavior or standards. They feel persecuted or insulted when they're held to the same standard as everyone else, and they'll lash out if they feel like they've been wrong. This feeling of being outside the standard, of not having to follow the same rules as everyone else, is actually really common whether it's a toxic leader or a toxic follower. And either way, it's a problem for the people around them. There's some feeling that this mindset is influenced by changes in our culture. Many people have grown up without being able to experience failure or criticism. This lack of feedback can create an idea that you should always get what you want. Obviously, this isn't an issue for everyone, but you can see how different personalities could absolutely be affected in different ways. In the workplace, this can be a real problem because as most of us know, you can't win every time. There are gonna be awards you don't win, promotions you don't get, and tasks that are just no fun that you have to do. Those things don't mean the workplace is unfair, but there are people that feel that any disappointment is unjust and they have to fight back. A long history of leadership that's only been concerned with protecting its own interests has also contributed to the way people look at this. For a long time, in many organizations, people had no mechanism for protecting themselves or raising concerns. They were really on their own. And that meant not only that workers were suffering, but also the organization suffered because everyone's points of view were not being heard. So anonymous complaint processes were introduced to skip all the barriers and give everyone a voice, which is a really positive step. But one unintended consequence has been, because every single complaint is taken seriously in many organizations, an investigation is conducted no matter what. A lot of them are based on feelings or behaviors, so they can be hard to prove one way or another. But as we talked about with biases, sometimes the first person to tell the story gets the strongest spin, and everyone else is stuck playing defense. Now, there are a lot of ways it can go when it's one person's word against another, but we're human, and so we don't always get it right. Additionally, whether the complaint is founded or unfounded, meaning whether it's found to be true or untrue, it still has an effect on people. 
Being the subject of an investigation can have its own stigma, as many of our colleagues who have dealt with legal issues have experienced. It's kind of like being guilty until proven innocent, which can be really hard to do. Finally, the emotional toll of being investigated can be really high for some people. So their work and relationships may actually suffer as they go through it, which doesn't help the situation at all. All of this taken together would be hard enough, but there are people out there who know this and decide to use it as a weapon. If they don't like a policy or a person, or don't want to do aspects of their job, they can file a complaint and try to get it changed. Now, that's not wrong in and of itself, but when you're intentionally subverting the system, that is wrong. This power to lash out anonymously without any consequences if the allegations are false or misleading has allowed a very small subset of people to feel like the rules just don't apply to them and they use this system to get back at anyone who tries to hold them to the standards or make them do something they don't want to do. The people who use this technique have also become very well versed in the language of complaints. There are certain words like toxic or hostile that elicit very specific responses and are treated very seriously. Whether they apply to the actual circumstances or not, once that bell is rung, it can't be unrung, and the investigation will often pursue that line of inquiry. An unfortunate consequence of that, besides the potential impact to someone who didn't deserve the complaint, is the overuse of these powerful words can dilute their impact. Toxic leaders and followers are absolutely a problem in many organizations. We have to correct that. And anonymous complaint mechanisms must stay in place until everyone feels safe to voice their concerns. But applying those descriptors to every case of we just don't like each other makes it harder for people really struggling under toxic leaders or actually surrounded by a hostile environment to prove their cases and get their voices heard. So here's the issue. It's not a popularity contest. You have to separate toxicity from likability and people get confused by that. Being unlikable does not make you toxic. Some people are just not fun. They're just not good with other people. They're not good with social cues. They don't pick up on nonverbals. They're awkward or just not very agreeable. Not wanting to be around someone does not make them toxic. Going the other way, being someone that people like does not mean you're not toxic. You can be funny and dynamic, attractive, personable, and still be a bad influence on your shop or your group. In fact, toxic followers are more effective at spreading their toxicity if they're likable and popular. Their bad habits can be emulated by coworkers who want to be part of the in-group, which is ultimately destabilizing to the organization. Remember, toxicity is absolutely informed by how someone makes you feel, but it's really ultimately tied to the effect on the organization and your performance. That might seem like I'm talking in circles, but I'm really not. You can think someone's a jerk of a person, but if they support you, make sure you have what you need to get your job done and give you the freedom to make decisions, they are a jerk, but they are not toxic. The fact that your boss micromanages you in trying to get the job done, but is otherwise a pretty good boss, does what they need to, but just has more oversight than you would like, that's a leadership style, but it's not necessarily toxic. If your coworker is rude or lazy or always late or shoots down every single one of your ideas with one of his or her own every single time, still doesn't make them toxic. Just because they disagree with you or have different ideas or just do things in a different way, it doesn't make them toxic. It just makes them maybe not someone you want to be friends with. On the other hand, you can love being around someone, but if they keep you from getting your job done, 
They talk trash about policies in your leadership, and they do things behind the scenes to undermine others. They might be cool to grab a drink with, but they are definitely showing some toxic qualities. Remember, we don't have to agree with someone to respect them. And agreeing with someone on one point doesn't mean we have to agree with everything they do. If your leader cares about the team, is trying to get the job done, is putting the organization above themselves, but you don't agree with them, they're not toxic. They may not even be a bad leader. You just disagree with them, which is awesome because it shows that you're paying attention and you care about enough about the organization to have an opinion. That's actually a really good thing, so you should engage with them. So we've talked about all these toxic behaviors that people exhibit and why they're bad, but what can we do to combat and prevent toxicity in our teams? The great news is that no matter where you are in the organization, you can impact it and be a force for positive change. If you know the source of the toxicity, talk to them. I'll tell you, a lot of people who are found to be toxic on some level, or even just disagreeable, thought they were doing the right thing for the organization. It's possible no one has ever told them the things they are doing are dragging people down. The first step is to give them the constructive feedback that they need to change their behavior. Because they might. If they truly care about the organization, they may listen. But maybe you don't have access to that person. Or maybe they've been told a hundred times, maybe even by you, and they really just are not a great person. What next? Well, you have to be a force for change. You have to be a positive influence. Number one, listen. It always starts with listening. Listen to the complaints that people have. Think about what they're really having issues with. As we've discussed, communication is so much more than the words. So figure out if they're struggling with the content or just the delivery. Listen to your leaders. What about the messages being lost? So often communication is at the heart of our difficult interactions. If you can listen and encourage others to do so, that's the first step. Next, you have to make sure that your processes align with your core values. Are the things that your organization and you personally are doing in line with your morals and who you claim to be? Is your organization promoting and rewarding the same priorities inside the group as it does outside? If not, it's really hard to make a positive change when your values don't align and you're not doing what you say you do. Next, quit worrying about self-promotion and don't reward others that do it. If your only priority is your own advancement, you cannot be fully committed to your team. Workers and teammates at every level can recognize a supervisor that's more concerned with their own next rank or their own promotion than the well-being of the team, and they really don't like it. You can actually be a pretty decent boss and your team will not trust you if they think your priority is your own promotion, your own career. And from above, a boss can absolutely tell if someone's pushing their own agenda instead of taking care of the team. Now this can be hard because the boss ultimately needs the job to get done, so it may seem that the, to the team that the supervisor is getting rewarded for their hard work, but I promise you it does come out in the end. A good boss is paying attention and really can see when someone's priority is their own career over the team. So hang in there. And you know what? If you have the boss's ear, it's not wrong to share your concerns. Obviously, you want to be aware of your own role in this, but sometimes the boss may not have the opportunity to see everything that you do. So share your concerns if you see that happening. The next strategy is simple. Tell the truth. Integrity in your words, your emails, your actions. There's no substitute and there's no workaround. If you lie, there are very few organizations where that will stay hidden. And once you're known as dishonest, that is an incredibly difficult reputation to change. 
Along those lines, cultivate trust. That means both giving and receiving trust. You have to trust others and be trustworthy. You have to meet deadlines and follow through and be upfront when you don't have the resources, the knowledge, or the skill to complete the job, or if you make a mistake. But it also means not micromanaging, supporting your team without second guessing them, and giving them the freedom to make mistakes and recover, and making sure you give them top cover throughout that entire process. Next, you have to have consistency in your standards. As a leader, you have more control over this, but as a follower, you can support the processes by pointing out when things aren't consistent and even more powerfully, supporting your leadership when they are. People can be understandably frustrated and look for someone to blame when they're disappointed, but sometimes your competition was just better and that can be really hard to take. It can be hard to deal with disappointment, especially when you wanted it so bad. But this consistency applies to feedback, to discipline, to promotion, to awards, everything that you do. Positive or negative, everyone should be able to count on the same opportunity, the same clarity of expectations, and the same application of fair standards across the board every day. In trying to create a collegial environment, you cannot be successful without respect and inclusion. Respect is key in protecting and preserving everyone's dignity, regardless of their circumstances and their attributes. But to get the most out of your team, you have to add inclusion. All of those things that make us different and interesting also give us new and fantastic ways of solving problems and generating ideas. There's no place for bullying or ostracizing people who are different. But we have to go far beyond coexisting and create synergy between that wonderful array of people we have on our teams if we want to get the full measure of our potential. Finally, we have to add mentorship, sponsorship, and coaching. We'll talk more soon about what those mean, but they're all a little bit different and their takes on developing leaders around us. Mentorship is sharing our experiences to help everyone grow. Coaching is providing insight so they can work through their challenges in their own way. And sponsorship is opening doors for people when we see they have potential. You don't have to be above someone in the organization to help their professional development. So we should all look for ways to help one another grow. Having this helpful, supportive mindset is a key factor in creating a positive environment for everyone. Taken together, it's clear that learning good leadership and followership is critical to your success. As we've discussed, although these components don't necessarily translate directly into your home or school life, most of the skills that go into them absolutely do. Leadership is a huge privilege, and many of you will lead hundreds or even thousands of people in your lifetime. But on some level, we're all followers, and we can have a ton of impact if we do it in a way to support and empower our organization. This week, look at your behavior and how you affect your group. Many of us have more impact than we ever would have guessed. Do you complain a lot? Negativity is surprisingly contagious in groups, so count how many negative things you say this week and shoot to cut that number in half. How much do you talk about yourself? Even if you aren't trying to promote yourself, but just trying to relate to others, many people take it the wrong way and think you're trying to get ahead or that you're really self-absorbed. If this is an issue for you this week, every time you think to talk about yourself, ask a question about the other person instead. You'll still create that connection that you were looking for and you won't look like you're bragging. Finally, think about your purpose and values. Are the things you're doing each day in line with who you are? If not, Think about some ways to realign your energy with what you actually believe in. If these things don't resonate with you, look back at some of the other techniques 
or think of some of your own and go over to www.levelthepursuit.com and share your tips and experiences. That's been our discussion of toxic leadership and followership on Level the Pursuit. Thanks for joining, and I look forward to your comments. If you like the lesson on toxic behaviors, please give it a like or subscribe. If you didn't, please comment with what I could do better. Next time, we'll cover putting your best foot forward as you pursue your next step. First impressions from our email and phone communication to how we dress and enter the room can influence every moment after and ultimately our chances of getting chosen. We'll talk about things to consider, some tips for optimizing our presentation, and how to follow up to make sure we get our foot in the door. Don't forget to look at your leadership and followership behaviors and head on over to www.levelthepursuit.com to share your insights and your successes. I can't wait to learn from your thoughts. Thanks again for joining Level the Pursuit. While we can't choose where we start, we can choose our dreams and how we pursue them. Remember, success is a team sport and there's room for all of us to achieve our goals. So be a good leader, be a good follower, and do something great. <laughs>